Welcome to Wired Ivy, Summer Shorts. Kieran here with some suggestions for how to serve adult learners in the virtual classroom. By now, practically everyone who has a connection to academia has heard that the traditional audience for higher education is headed for a demographic cliff. In response, colleges and universities are exploring ways to attract an older audience of degree completers and lifelong learners to bridge the gap. But who counts as an adult learner, and how do we retain them once we have their attention? According to the National Center for Education Statistics, NCES, non-traditional age students are, quote, not between the ages of 18 and 22 years of age, close quote. Not the clearest way to state that, I know, but I didn't write it, I'm just reporting. The NCES fleshes out that definition by adding that adult learners have established responsibilities, such as jobs and or families, and they don't live on campus. To put an even finer point on it, many adult learners don't live anywhere near campus, and in the case of online students, they may not live in the same state, region, continent, or country as their educational institution. School isn't the central hub of a non-traditional student's life. Rather, school is one of many spokes on a very full wheel. So it shouldn't come as any surprise, but apparently it sometimes does, that adult learners are less likely to be available than traditional students to attend classes during regular Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. academic business hours. On the other hand, evenings and weekends may present childcare challenges. And let's not forget that these barriers to higher education don't magically appear when someone turns 23. Plenty of traditional age 18 to 20-year-olds are also juggling school, work, family, and other personal responsibilities. All of these factors contribute to the popularity of online education among diverse non-traditional students. But there's more to serving these learners than marketing campaigns that include images of young adults in business attire sitting in an office setting. To attract and retain this audience of students requires a willingness to stop expecting that, once admitted and formally welcomed, they will adjust to meet the campus status quo. True inclusiveness means designing and delivering courses, programs, and services that fit into their lives, instead of expecting them to rearrange their lives and schedules to fit the rhythms of a campus they may never visit. Especially when we're talking about online courses and programs, which is, after all, the focus of this podcast, it's important to remember that if we don't make it feasible for adult learners to succeed, they'll find another institution that will. The switch to a better fit is as easy as entering some keywords into a search engine and then moving their cursor. But how do we tailor educational offerings so they are not one-size-fits-all? Since this is a summer shorts episode, I'm not going to give you an exhaustive treatise, but I will offer a couple of ideas to get the ball rolling. A. All together now. Or maybe not. First and foremost, serving adult learners in online classes requires attention to time zones and timing. If your course roster commonly features students from across your home continent and possibly beyond, then asynchronous delivery is really the only viable delivery mode, unless your goal is to shrink the number of students who enroll in your classes. On the other hand, some of you may teach for a program that serves a primarily or entirely local audience. And in this context, local could mean anything from a large metropolitan area to an entire geographic region. But just because everyone is in the same time zone doesn't mean that everyone on your roster is available to meet at the same time. One student's daily itinerary may revolve around daycare drop-offs and pickups. Another student may be managing an aging parent's needs. 
A third student may work the night shift. Someone else has to travel extensively for their job. Asynchronous delivery allows each of these individuals to decide when class takes place for them, so long as they can do quality work and meet assignment deadlines. Adults know how to adjust their schedules depending on the demands of the day. So once they realize that having some agency over when to listen to a lecture or participate in a discussion or work on an assignment only feels odd because it's school, they'll apply the same skills they already use to manage work and personal responsibilities and do just fine. I see incoming students quickly and seamlessly adapt without fail to this more autonomous approach to schooling every semester. And here's an asynchronous delivery bonus. As the instructor, you'll no longer have to arrange your day around a live streaming Zoom call that you have to record anyway as standard best practice in case someone loses their internet connection halfway through class. Win, win, win. Am I right? B. Walk your talk. Let's be clear. Asynchronous is not the same as self-paced. Asynchronous courses are still organized by weeks or modules, there are still deadlines, and there's still a high level of external accountability that helps students stay on track. It's just that there's more flexibility built into when students engage with the content and, in the case of group assignments, with each other. That said, you may have to adjust the way you think about how much time it takes to complete an assignment and set deadlines accordingly. For example, if your class is taught asynchronously, you can't give students a graded assignment on Monday and set the deadline for Wednesday, two days later. Why? Because for all you know, some of your students in the class weren't planning to start work on the course until Thursday evening or over the weekend, which is completely reasonable, assuming the week or module begins on a Monday. The guidance I give faculty in the online Master of Natural Resources program at Virginia Tech is seven to 10 days minimum, spanning two weekends if possible to complete any solo graded assignment. I recommend adding at least three to four more days for group assignments because students will need some time to get organized and accommodate one another's schedules. Asynchronous discussions need to be handled a bit differently because you will want students to be engaged over the entire time the chat room is open and active, rather than simply posting the minimum number of comments and responses five minutes before the final deadline. Building in micro deadlines, complete with points, rather than a single endpoint deadline, will help to foster an actual conversation and reduce the frustration levels of those students who contribute early and then fret about their grade because there aren't any other postings for them to comment on. Having, say, five micro-deadlines spread out over a 10-day period should be reasonable and feasible for adult learners in an asynchronous online course because, one, it's possible to participate in a discussion without needing a large block of time for each post, and two, the total number of points faculty assigned to each discussion tends to be lower than for other types of graded assignments, so the stress levels for students are lower as well. C. Reasonable Accommodations Another consideration when working with adult learners is the need to be less rigid about deadlines. This is a tricky one, as I'll illustrate with this story from my early days teaching online at VT. I knew when I was first hired as a postdoc to develop and teach online courses that this program was designed to serve adult learners. I didn't have any hesitation about that because I'd been an adult learner myself from my time as an undergrad returning to complete a degree to working on a research-focused MS and then a PhD as an unofficial distance and online student. The MNR program had a standard protocol by which we stated in our syllabi that reasonable accommodations would be made for students who had to be away for some limited period of time due to work demands, including travel. 
In our case, this included fire duty, which can involve some uncertainty around the number of days away, because at the time, we had quite a few U.S. Forest Service personnel enrolled in the program. So with all that in mind, I was still absolutely floored when a student contacted me midway through the semester to say she was going to be away for two weeks on a family vacation, and could I please give her early access to the next two modules, as well as an extension on a couple of deadlines? Having rearranged my life around an academic calendar from the first days of kindergarten until I was hooded, the idea that a student would intentionally book a vacation during the semester, other than for fall or spring break, was incomprehensible to me. But One of the great benefits of the maturation process, in my experience, is that I've learned that when I have a strong reaction to a comment or query from someone, it's helpful to allow myself some time for the adrenaline to dissipate before I put fingers to keyboard. And that's exactly what I did in this case. I got up from my desk, forcefully enough to startle my dog who was snoozing nearby, and the two of us took an impromptu and initially quite brisk walk around the neighborhood. (sighs) While on that walk, several things occurred to me. First, I remembered that in many workplaces, there are limitations on when someone can use annual leave, and those unembargoed weeks are unlikely to take academic calendars into consideration. Second, I considered the fact that university calendars aren't always in sync with K-12 through calendars, and given the timing, that might be a consideration in this case. Lastly, I realized that if I tell my students I'll make accommodations because of a job-related conflict, but not in the case of a vacation, all I'm really doing is encouraging my students to lie to me, since I have no way of verifying the reason for their request, and I'm not about to start asking students to provide a note from their supervisor. So, I came to the conclusion that since I try to create a learning community of colleagues, in class and in the program, I would just have to learn to trust my students unless there's evidence to suggest that an individual is not trustworthy. These are adults. They are, for the most part, paying out of pocket for their education or using student loans. Same difference. They are passionate about this discipline and their careers, so I need to cut them some slack without compromising academic rigor. And since there is potential for students to abuse this generous policy of accommodations, I came up with a response to any request for special treatment. I explained that I'm willing to do whatever I can to help, but I also have to balance the needs of an individual student with what's fair to everyone else in the class. With that equation as my guide, I found it much easier to have pliant deadlines that are still fair to the group as a whole. Now it's time for a Wired Ivy listener challenge, a thought experiment that can provide tangible benefits in your own virtual classroom. Imagine you need or want to go back to school. What changes would you need to make to your work and personal life schedules so attending class as an adult learner would be feasible? What kinds of changes to a standard synchronous in-person class would you want or need the instructor to make so you could be fully engaged as a learner without dropping the ball on any of your other responsibilities? What thoughts come to mind? Or what adaptations have you already implemented in your online classes to acknowledge the needs of adult and other non-traditional students? Let's hear what you have to say. Send us your questions, comments, and suggestions. You can leave a voice message at speakpipe.com slash wiredivy. Or send us an email to kieran at wiredivy.org. Kieran is spelled K-I-E-R-A-N or dan at wirediv.org. Dan is spelled D-A-N. 
and help Wired Ivy grow by sharing, subscribing, rating, and reviewing us on your favorite podcast app. Thank you.